0: This is the Westside King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising
1: grace of Jesus. We're back with another midweek podcast and uh, working through Acts 7, mm. which we started to see Stephen last week in your teaching, you know, as yeah. he's interacting with the religious leaders, and mm-hmm. then this week we got to come face-to-face with this very hefty sermon Yes, that's, that Stephen is, gets killed for. Um, <laughs> it always is a slightly terrifying thing to think about as a communicator that it's possible to get killed <laughs> by what you say um, yeah. in religious circles, but... Um, No, there's lots for us to unpack and I think you took it in a really interesting direction um, for us even as a community, but we'll we'll always come back and start with this question of is there anything else you want to add? Was there stuff that we weren't able to get to that you want to begin with today?
0: Yeah, it's...
1: I mean, it's funny, because in one sense we say, hey, this
0: is a really long 53-verse sermon, but then also it is kind of shorter than most of the sermons that any of us preach these days, so maybe... And and he covers a lot of ground <laughs> in 53 yes, verses. It does. I'm going to tell you the whole first five books of the Old Testament sort of thing. In 12 minutes, and, yeah. and get killed for it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I think th- there's a couple of things that struck me about the sermon that I hope... Uh, were obvious in the reading of Stephen's sermon. but i I was thinking about Phil's words a couple of weeks ago, and he was teaching for us about how the really is one of the big challenges that's constantly going on in acts is is this question of are we going to undo what the holy spirit is is doing? and, right. and i I kind of hope that what people actually heard when we were reading the sermon is how that is actually, a point that Stephen makes in the sermon itself. He makes the point that we end up working against God if we're not if we're not careful. Right. Um, and I I found that really fascinating just to to point that out a little bit so that we realize this isn't a theme that we go in. Oh, I kind of feel like what's going on in Acts here is are we undoing the work of the Holy Spirit? Actually, Stephen's sermon, and this is what I I'm in this category of people that think Luke is a really clever writer, the way he builds a narrative. Right. That you've now got Stephen's sermon, which has a moment in that point of history where it means and is achieving something. But then you've also got Stephen's sermon and the role it's playing in Acts, where we've seen all of these various people try and either intentionally or unintentionally work against the Holy Spirit. We now get this sermon sort of beginning to wrap up that section of Acts. right? To say okay, right, what's going What's going on is that we're working against the Holy Spirit. And in fact, that's not new. It's been happening throughout Scripture. Right. Because then in the next part of Acts, we're going to have this question, what racial boundaries... Is, are going to be broken down right. by the Holy Spirit. Right. And then by Acts 10 and 11, we're going to have a sermon from Peter around why that is. So right. it's almost as if these sermons are doing things, not just in their original historical context, but in the narrative of Luke, he's saying, pay attention to this sermon. It's going to help you understand the story that I'm telling. Does that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, as someone who's actually teaching after you, mm-hmm. you know, in this story, I was fascinated by even your your comment within the teaching on Sunday, and Mm. you tied it back to um, Boris Johnson and his Mm. resignation and the sermon that seems to all of a sudden launch a change within the culture around uh, around them. And this is for sure doing the same thing because what's going to now happen is out of this sermon, there is now an expansion of the kingdom of God that happens. There's a shift that happens. A lot of it's been local at this point in time. Mm. And now it's like... All of a sudden, oh, now now yes. we're going out. There's there's new territory. There's new things that God's going to do, and it's yeah. and it. I would agree. It is it's as if Luke has set this up to say, and now watch what happens mm-hmm. on the backside of this.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's it's important. I, I say this a lot, but one of the things we tend to do when it comes to reading the Bible is we read it in these small chunks. So even though we read a big chunk on Sunday, it's still a small chunk of the whole story. Yes. Right? Um, uh, but but and so I think that there's now we didn't jump into the actual physical killing of Stephen on Sunday, but it's it's noticeable that you've so Stephen ends on this cliffhanger, which is basically you know you killed the righteous one, right? Which is an accusation that's been laid upon people already in Acts. That, yes. Wait a minute, God was trying to do something. So look at this, verse 751, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forgive- forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. So there's the there's the critique that Phil brought. This is not the critique yeah. now of, this is not a Christian accusing Jewish people of this, this is a Jewish person accusing his colleagues of where we are right, right now, right? Um, so So there's this question, God's trying to do something, and we're not listening, right? right? Um, Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? You know, they killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You're the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it, right? So then you get the follow-up story, which I didn't read on Sunday morning. It's a little little intense, but when they heard these things, they became enraged, ground their teeth at Stephen. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cover their ears, and with a loud shout, they rush together against him. Notice the covering of the ears. So there's there's almost a, a narrative going through this whole sermon about us not listening to God, right? Yes. And us, therefore, silencing God. And, of course, the worst silencing of God that happens is the killing of his son, right? So, yes. So you've got this whole narrative of... When we set out against and against this may be too hard, Tyson, but but essentially that is what the sermon of Stephen is saying is right. that whether intentionally or unintentionally, we find ourselves working against God. One of the things that we then end up doing is a silencing process. Right. We silence the voice of truth. We silence the voice of 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 faith. We we silence the the, the voice that's come to do grace and those sort of works. Right. And, and we shut that down. So, we're, so we shut down Jesus, and then now we're going to shut down Stephen, right? Right. And of course again, this is not a look what they did. This is a story, somebody said it in the QA. I think this story is telling us about the human condition of doing this. Yes. We all do this. Yes. And when we don't like, we attempt to shut down when somebody says something which is uncomfortable towards the story that we think we're, we're living in, does that follow?
1: Yes. No. I'm. I. I am following completely. And we. We did. We talked about that a bit on Sunday. Even this. How do we identify ourselves within mm. st- story as mm-hmm. we read scripture, and how do we do that with mm-hmm. a humility and a discernment yes. to be open to? Well, actually, where do I find myself within mm-hmm. this story? Because it's so easy to miss what the holy spirit wants to do in us mm-hmm. by just mis mis uh misrepresenting ourselves mm-hmm. within a within a story in yes. that sense
0: and then maybe a question for us is not only where do i find myself in this story am i open or how do i respond perhaps a better way to ask the question how do i respond when it is pointed out Yes. That I'm not in the story the way I thought I was. Totally. Um, I was thinking about that because one of the things I tried to do in the sermon was give us a bit of a matrix based on what Stephen does as to how to assess stuff that sounds right but might not be right. Right. Um, And I think one of the big challenges we have always on that, I wonder if it's linked to issues of shame. And I wonder if it's issues to, linked to issues of shame and vulnerability that when we when we back a particular position and then it becomes apparent to us that maybe the position that we're backing isn't as jesus-centered as we thought right are we willing to then go oh you know what i'm sorry i made a mistake which i think would be really easy to do and in the grace of jesus very easy to navigate but we prefer to almost double down and say no i'm going to defend the way that i think yes Uh, and i think this is a huge challenge for the church because there's a lot of voices out there, and I don't really want to get into kind of examples of who, but there's a lot of voices out there that are being treated as if, oh, this is a Christian voice. Right. But it's not doing what Stephen does here, which is points me towards Jesus in a way of grace. Right. Um, and the question for us is, when that becomes apparent to us, I really like this author, I like this YouTube personality, I like this newscaster. Sure. When it becomes apparent, oh, the story they're telling is one which is trying to undo the work of God— even though it might appear to me or how it's been introduced to me as a Christian, how do I react to that? Do I start throwing stones and silence the truth? Yeah. Or do I have to sit back and go, i got to listen differently now and perhaps change how I fit into this story? And I think Stephen's story shows us the classic human response is to throw rocks.
1: Yeah, and, and cover your ears. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean... T- t- we, we both have kids to, to me, it it's like a toddler tantrum. Mm, this totally. at, Like I have seen <laughs> my kids and other kids, they don't want to hear something. And what do they do? I'm not listening to you. I'm, yeah. I'm covering my ears and I'm stomping totally. around and, and, and going to throw a fit. And I think that is a common, and I think you're onto something in the shame. And I don't know if it's something that we've well, it obviously is something that has been created within the culture of, church leadership and just Mm -hmm. church involvement in that sense that has caused people to Mm. feel like the biggest mistake that you can make in following jesus is having the wrong thinking in something in some in some senses and so if you have the wrong thinking well you're not connected to jesus you're bad and then down that slip yes. in the, that pathway you go in in some yeah. ways and so i wonder if we're we're defending the wrong things in mm. that sense as far as we assume that what it means to follow jesus is to have all of the right thinking mm. so mm. when that gets challenged it is a shot at our faith in mm. and of itself which um, i think is I, I think is just a problematic process of discipleship because you know, I i Was it you that was telling? I think there's a story of someone, you know, they come into a Bible classroom and they said, hey, listen, before we get started, there's thousands of heresies within this room. Mm. Let's, I don't know if that was you or someone. Anyways, Mm. I heard that story and I found it fascinating where, Mm. you know, talking to a group of Bible students in a school was like, Mm. let's just start by understanding that a lot of our thinking about stuff, we may not always have it right. Oh yeah. So let's not come in with the assumption that anything you hear in this Mm. class or whatever, or you potentially get challenged on, Mm. is wrong just because it's different yeah at right out of the gate Mm. than what you've you've necessarily heard in that sense so yeah i don't know i'm i'm tracking with you but i'm just i'm processing out loud in that sense of right thinking and how we do seem to feel shame around if that thinking is 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 not correct and how we respond to it
0: i think that i mean a couple of things just a throwaway comment and um I was thinking about. It. They covered their ears and, with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. I mean, you could, you could take that. That could be a piece of commentary on almost anything you see happening in the contemporary world. Totally. Like you see political dialogue working that way. Yes. Um, you know. I mean. I mean. Let's just. You know. I. I think this is a. I mean, this is exactly what I see happening in uh, the UK, are going through a leadership election now to to elect a new prime minister. I think I see this happening in American. You know, politics. And I'm seeing it happen in Canadian politics. And, you know, Canada, which has prized itself on being amiable and welcoming, our politics are beginning to become this you're going to talk, and I'm going to cover my ears while you're talking, and then just say bad things about you when it's my turn to talk. And we'll just keep doing that. And then the people can elect the person that they think they want, right? Yeah. It's ugly. It's horrible. And I think it's fascinating that Luke is offering us this. Almost this, you know, the covering of ears and just shouting. So it's like not only am I going to block you out, I must try and talk so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. I mean, this is goodness me. It's a two thousand year old text, but I mean, it could. It's social media. It's politics. Yeah, you can see it everywhere. To be honest with you, it's church. Yes, I'm seeing it in church that somebody says something that we disagree with. I don't like this or don't like what was said. Rather than saying. Oh, is this an opportunity for us to learn or appreciate diversity? It's like, how do we shut this down? Hence, why I think we talk so much about what does it mean to be centered set, right? Yes. I that in. Um, I think the other aspect of your of your comment, just exploring this question of shame, I think it relates to, um, I think it relates to dogma actually in terms of how, what we think we believe and how we go about practicing that. And, and if I could sort of try and unpack that, I would say that we we talk about being saved by faith, right? Um, which is actually inaccurate slightly, right? In that, that you know, your classic, even your Reformation p- position, you know, your Martin Luther's and your John Calvin's, right. we are saved by grace through faith, right? right. So faith somehow brings us to a place of grace. But what we've done over time, I think, is we've narrowed it down to say we're saved by faith. And that's become in the modern, particularly in the modern Western context, um, it has become you are saved by faith, which we translate as you are saved by believing. And then we unpack that slightly further to say you are saved by believing the right things. Right. Uh, um, And then we say you are saved by believing the right things. And you have to believe them completely. Right? Yes. Ergo, the opposite of faith is doubt, right? which is not a biblical parallel. Faith and doubt are not opposites in the Bible, yeah. but they have become so in modern Christian dogma. Right. Um, so the one thing you cannot have space for in your life is doubt. Right. right. So, which I think we, okay, yeah. And many of us have grown up in that context. Like the one thing you never tell anyone is, I'm not sure about what I believe. Yeah. But actually the other thing, if you are saved by faith, and by that we mean, right, saved by believing the right things, the cost of believing the wrong things is very, very high within that dogmatic framework. Right. You get what I'm scratching Yeah, at? I'm tracking. So, So when I say to you, what if you're looking at the story wrong, Tyson? What you hear is what if my salvation is in doubt? What if the found, you know, because I can come to you and go, hey, have you noticed that roof tile slightly squint on your house? Okay, that's easy to fix. Have you noticed you're missing a foundation? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a big issue. We're going to start panicking. And I wonder if the shame of why we fight so much about being told we're seeing the story wrongly is because we think the stakes are high. If you're telling me I'm reading the story wrongly, that means I might not even be a Christian. Right now, to be clear, I don't believe this, right? Yes, but I and, yeah. think that's the world that our dogma has brought us into. So church becomes a place where we all say, "We all believe this with no doubts." Yes. So people with half doubts feel excluded. Yeah, we all believe this, and we have to believe it this way; otherwise, we're not Christian. So people with questions feel excluded because we can't entertain the question because the question is too impacting for us. Right. The irony, of course, is uncertainty is about the only thing humans can be certain of <laughs> yeah it's like, like yeah. You, you know it, it's the one thing we're guaranteed of you'll have days yeah. of doubt and days of, of not knowing
1: you, i mean do you think i'm being fair with that well i th- i think so even just on my own church experience growing up and i think you're bang on and articulated exactly what i was kind of just processing at the time of mm-hmm. why the thinking piece mm-hmm. and being challenged on it can feel so problematic at yes. times for people, which is why you see in this story the same response, mm-hmm. I think, of this is how it's always been done. This is how we've always thought about it. Yes. You pushing on this is problematic, mm-hmm. so how are we going to respond? By yeah. not listening to it and continuing on the trajectory that we're currently yes. on.
0: I think I think that is that is the easier thing to do. Yes. Um, and, and therefore, I think that's why we also have a tendency to then want to listen to voices outside of the church that match up with what we think is right yes because it's actually more likely that we won't be questioned because of what society is doing now to public dialogue and debate is it's like let's just listen to like it struck me even in my research for this sermon last sunday how much how polarized the debate is you watch a particular personality on youtube and now all of your YouTube recommendations are people from that polarizing
1: position. Well, I- let's let's get it. I mean, that's and that's the fascinating part. Mm. And to interject, I apologize, but um, that's the fascinating part about how, as a culture, once we almost make an, a, a decision on a mm. certain position mm. or a certain thought process it's incredibly difficult to move out of because mm. of how algorithms and things are working and totally. and it's a and it's a business to make money but how they just continue to support you know mm-hmm. it was a throwaway comment from you on sunday but it's not mm. it's not surprising that now you know you you were looking at specific things on youtube mm. and now your whole recommended channel is is completely different, yes, because you end up in this echo chamber of all I want to do is further affirm mm-hmm. what you already believe. Well, it's hands over your ears and shouting loudly, isn't it? Yes, and it just puts mm. you know, it makes it harder and harder to potentially be open to something mm-hmm. different or yeah. right, a, a potentially m- misunderstanding what mm. you originally thought was yeah. the right thing,
0: and I think then. For me, what's interesting is if you end up somewhere like Philippians, for example, and look at how Paul discusses his understanding of his relationship with Jesus, right? So Philippians 3, verse um, 7, uh, he he starts this conversation about... uh, about basically his past life and the things he was committed to. And, you know, famously he considers them garbage because he wants to gain Christ. He wants to live in Christ. And he says this, he says, you know, he wants to have a righteousness that is through trust or faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faithfulness. I want to know Christ. So he's talking this stuff through. And then he drops this verse in verse 312. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And, and I'd love, I'd love you to think about, you know, if you if you, if you're kind of listening to this you know, think about the language, the way Paul said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Paul is attempting to grasp Christ, but is confessing that his attempt to grasp Christ in faith is actually a response to Christ having already grasped him. Right. Ergo, even if Paul doesn't quite grasp Christ properly, Paul is still grasped. Right. Right. So Paul is trying to hold on to Christ. Christ has already held Paul. So even if Paul misses, gets it wrong, has to adjust his, his hold, has to let go, Christ is still holding him. Yes, right? yes. And I think we don't talk about that dynamic of faith because I think once you talk about that the pressure of talking about what you believe is now reduced. Yes. I, because, oh, I can evaluate my faith now. I can hear Stephen say, I don't think you're understanding this story properly. Because, oh, it's okay, because Christ has got me. Right. <laughs> while I think about this story. Yeah. Wh- which kind of brings us into the question about, we hear a lot of conversation about deconstruction, for example, yes. nowadays. And our tendency towards someone deconstructing is to say, Oh, you're abandoning your faith. Yes. But what if Christ what if we thought about this as Christ having held us, which therefore makes us safe?
1: Yeah. You... Yeah, and I I love the um the image. It was our 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 friend Bob. Uh, Osborne, mm. who um, I remember him very specifically telling a story one time that it, 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 related to this idea. And I mm. think it's a helpful kind of image just to to think through. Not everyone has kids, but many mm. of us have been kids. Um, I'm yeah. confident enough to say mm-hmm. um, that. Um, and he was talking about the hand holding relationship between a parent and a child mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they're walking through mm-hmm. that the the kid assumes and thinks they're holding the hand, mm-hmm. but who's actually holding on to yes. who in that situation. Totally. There is this sense of there's this, there is this grip that's happening, mm-hmm. but if that child lets go, it slips, it's who's actually holding. What's well, the parent that yes. actually has the grip. And yes. that just popped back into my mind again, mm-hmm. as you're talking about this idea of Christ grasping onto yeah. us. And I think that's a, maybe a helpful kind of way of thinking about
0: it. Well, absolutely. The, the, the image of what Christ is doing is, is echoed then in what we do as parents. Yes. And I think, I mean, I, I had the exact situation. I was, I was climbing a mountain with my daughter on Saturday, and there was this moment where, you know, there was some kind of hikey moments, and I was just sure. holding her hand. Then there was a moment where it was a bit of a scramble, and I grabbed her hand differently, and she said, oh, why are you holding my hand like that? And I said, oh, because if you slip... I'm holding you and and it, and so actually although she was still holding my hand what really was now working yes. was that she was actually being held so given that my certainty is that I will be uncertain, given that a guarantee is that I will have doubt. I mean, you know, transcendence requires doubt. We are being asked to believe impossible things. Yes. So the idea that that we could say to a human, you must believe impossible things and never doubt them. Jesus asks nobody of that in scripture, and yet we're asking it of ourselves. So we naturally need to defend that because I can't let doubt you know, I, I can't let doubt anywhere near my house because doubt's the one thing that will cost me my relationship with God. Yeah. And here's Paul going in Philippians three twelve. Actually, yeah. <laughs> your relationship is with God, and this comes back again to what I was trying to say in the sermon, um, or what I th- and what I think Stephen's saying in his sermon. Like you're trying to build a house for God. God does not live there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, which I mean is a huge critique of
1: yeah, you the, know people the whole system.
0: Right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, of the whole system. But I, I loved how w- what. I think is in that story, and I tried to articulate this. This is why, does a sermon point to Jesus? Yes. How does it point to Jesus? Yeah. And I think we always, almost always in church, get sermons pointing to Jesus. I mean, I say almost always. I do think there's a trend happening in, in Christian circles to live more on a here's just some nice life advice in a sermon that you could extract Jesus from. It still would be nice life advice. I don't think that's a sermon. I do think churches have got to face up to the reality that we have gotten distracted in a lot of situations. We have not been pointing people to Jesus. I think we've been pointing people to pastors and worship leaders, and you know, I think we've been creating celebrities on stage. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you see it in the almost the iconography of churches. You know, when you walk into a church, are you pointed toward Jesus, or are you pointed towards how much we love ourselves? Right. Totally. These things are all there to be to be challenged and thought about. So yes, there is a question still. I think about is this sermon pointing towards Jesus, but there's also that question of how is it pointing towards Jesus? Yeah. And I do, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm holding my position on this. I think we love the idea that how it points to Jesus is he's over there. Try really hard to get there. Yeah. But what you get is actually we're pushing on towards the Christ who has already taken hold of us. And, and I think, I think that's, you know, well, here, I I got a quote for you. This is Robert Farrar our one of my favorite writers. And, uh, he, he says this, uh, and it struck me this quote, um, because we're teaching about Stephen and we know what happens to Stephen as a result of his sermon. Yeah, Yeah, Cappan's quote says this, As any preacher who seriously preaches the gospel of grace can tell you, the troops are not amused by the prospect of absolutely free salvation. (laughs) The first (laughs) instinct of most Christians, after they have smiled indulgently at the preacher's charming, easygoing concept of salvation— is to nail him to the wall for knocking the props out from underneath divine retribution for nasty deeds. They do not want grace. They want law. And now I didn't put that, that quote in the sermon, yeah. but, but it kind of mod, It balanced off the Bart quote that we were talking about as well, that for some reason we are drawn to the you must, you should. Yeah. And the message of Jesus is not pistol shooting. It's grace, grace, and and, and more grace. Uh, and, and so... I just thought I'd be curious what you thought of Kappen. I mean, I love Kappens, but you're allowed to critique him because of many things, including what we're talking about. Well, in his I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've
1: I've seen a few of his things just because you've sent stuff to me. But yeah. I, I, you know, I I think it's I think it's an accurate statement, and I mm-hmm. know we've had this conversation at multiple points along mm-hmm. the way. Where where grace is actually the harder way to live. Mm-hmm. It's the harder way to respond to life, and mm-hmm. because. Not only for us as individuals, but then how we then respond to the world around us. We, mm. Law allows us to know, one, if we're good enough, and who else is good enough, and who's deserving, and who's not. And, and, and who else, else is us, failing. Yes. <laughs> and how are we better, and where do we fit, and mm. how—like, those are all questions yeah. that mm. we want we want the answers to. Mm. And for whatever reason, we seem hard—it seems hard for us to grasp, especially when it comes to who's in, who's out, how, mm. how to—where do we fit? it seems hard for us for some reason to grasp that well we're all loved mm. we're all loved by god mm-hmm. and that's that's what we're responding to is this mm-hmm. you know this christ that has taken hold of us this love yeah. that led him to come in jesus and right like in mm-hmm. and, and yet we're we're always jockeying for position and who fits where and who's better than the other mm-hmm. and who's got mm-hmm. it right and who's like it's yeah it's a it's a fascinating comment that he it, it's pointed, mm. for sure, mm. but I think sometimes we need, you know, in the church we call them those pro- prophetic voices yeah, yeah. In, in that sense of, like, that point us to some of this mm. stuff to say, I, I think we've got it backwards yeah. a little bit in what we're focusing on and what we really
0: want. Yeah. I think it's worth, you know, I mean, I talked about Pelagius, the British monk from the 4th century yes. in, in my Sunday sermon, and I, I, I think... Uh, To me, it's notable that throughout history, there are those voices that critique grace because it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, The New Testament is pretty nailed onto this, you know, like God has come to us and has graced us where we're at. And it seems like the history of the church has been a few thousand years of us constantly falling off that wagon, yeah. whether it's Pelagius saying, no, 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 like we need to aim to be perfect and that's how we're going to. And I think it's pride and this comes back to this pride and shame thing. I think that that we like, I actually genuinely do think we like the idea of admitting, yes, I think we can do that. And we're shamed by the idea that maybe we can't. And it just, I always find it amazing that we're literally talking about a Jesus who was crucified on a cross. So the cross is a Roman torture device designed to shame its victims. Yeah. So, with a cross at the center of our faith, like why are we still talking about shame? <laughs> like, why does it matter to us? Like, yeah. oh, sorry, oh, I'm not good enough. Well, that's the point, right? You know that. Oh, yeah, and Paul picks up on that totally. like,
1: which we're gonna see him, you know, have a conversion. But then, as he writes through the New Testament, mm-hmm. this preaching Christ and Christ crucified, we we hear that statement as mm-hmm. well. Of course, he's you know that's a main point, but yeah. actually, what's underlying in that is like mm-hmm. actually this is the foolishness in some mm-hmm. senses of of God, right? Yes. Like that we're preaching. Cr- christ who was deeply like they tried to shame him incredible mm-hmm. you know incredible in incredible ways through you know what they were doing culturally at the time and yeah. it's out of that yes that this kingdom of god is expanding and yeah. right like and and evil and sin get dealt with and all of this stuff that yes. doesn't make sense to us
0: yeah no, no you're 100 right and yet we're still despite christ's shame for us we're still going, but I'd really like to think that I'm doing something here yes. in order to earn my salvation. Yes, and it, yeah, it's very, it's very strange. And in in a weird way, go back to, uh, you know, the end of Acts, uh, chapter seven. Here, in a weird way, it's again an attempt to just work against God. Right? It's an attempt to work against grace, work against the Holy Spirit, not being willing just to you know, to accept the scandal of the cross, actually, at some level, and therefore the scandal of grace. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I was talking to um, our friend Dave McPherson just uh, in, in the lead up to our conversation today, actually. I tried to talk him into coming on and actually joining us for the podcast. but oh, nice. But he said he was too busy. But everybody will get a chance to meet Dave soon enough. But um, he was talking about how much that he was impacted when he was listening to the sermon about how... All of these characters in Stephen's sermon have tried to do it their own way, yeah. And it, and each of them, in their own times, it all fell apart on them. Mm-hmm. And yet, still, right up to the time of Jesus, we're trying to silence God. We're yeah. trying to shut him down and say, no, no, we prefer to do this a different way. Yeah. And and I, I yeah, I just I think it's a really a really fascinating kind of underlying message to this whole this whole sermon. Um, but then, just quickly. Tyson, because I think this is significant. If you keep reading, uh, you you basically realize that the there's the, just just really dense passage where it, you know Stephen dies, and then it says, and you just it's one sentence, and Saul approved of their killing him. So so this young man named Saul is there. He's looking after everyone's coats, which sounds yes. like a bit of it, but I think it's it's a mark of approval. He's yes. the one overseeing all of this so we i I was introduced to this story as Saul's just the kid carrying the coats, but notice he's there, he's not involved, but he's watching and he's approving of it all, yes. and it's like it's again, it's a beautiful cliffhanger why are we why are we interested in this guy Saul, right <laughs> you know yeah, um but then you get that day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria, right so you get this. And Saul now is ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, and committing them to prison. But look what's happening, right? And this is going to jump into your teaching then for this coming Sunday. Yeah. Is that this terrible thing happens, but actually it functions to spread the gospel out of Jerusalem. Yes. Hence why we're now going to start to encounter what happens if non-Jewish people become followers of Jesus. Um, Yeah. So it's interesting how the narrative is piecing itself together, We've got a new story now. How does the gospel go around the world? Yes. Well, guess what? It started. The spread started in pretty ugly ways, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and fascinating that uh, you know you're reading straight through, but later you know translators and stuff who are putting chapters and verses Mm. together actually have the and Saul approved of the killing of him Mm. as verse one in chapter eight. Yes, it fits in this story. Yes, yet it's it seems to be like even you know early translators are picking up on this is a significant sentence. If we're going to start a new chapter, yeah, that's going to launch us into and here's as as it goes and through yes. persecution and what happens when the kingdom of god goes outside of jerusalem
0: totally and and so and that happens then we find ourselves in samaria and everybody knows that we don't like samaritans, samaritans right yes. uh, you know luke's readers know this because he told the good samaritan story yes. so it's like so so now philip another one of these deacons that we yeah. were introduced to in, in in chapter 6 when when phil was talking about it philip comes to samaria and you know well, okay, so you're teaching on you're teaching a bit about this on Sunday. Yes. You know, what do we need to prep for Sunday? Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, and that's that's the fascinating thing and there's there is a, lo- a lot we were just talking before we mm. hit the record button on this mm. of how many different ways you can go within this text. Mm. There's a there is a scattering piece. What does it mean to? Mm. And there's a fascinating line in here that Luke just says everyone scattered except for the apostles. Mm. He doesn't say why, but there's something <laughs> yeah. for us to be thinking about when it comes mm. to why does Luke actually feel like that needs mm. to be included and I think that actually sets up what we're then going to see when mm. we come face to face with Philip meeting this guy named Simon the sorcerer right, okay. who has right who has um has a following mm-hmm. and this confrontation with power and what he mm-hmm. wants to attach his life to. Yeah. Um and, and the critique of what he tries to attach his life to in that sense, and the reflection for us in that.
0: It's fascinating, actually. Uh, Again, I want to just uh, drag people back into, uh, like, I think Luke is a master storyteller, right? But just notice his introduction to Simon. All of them, from least to greatest, listen to him eagerly saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. But just, do you remember how Stephen was introduced? Yeah. Here is a man full of grace a pool of God's grace and power. Yeah. Right? And so you've got, actually, if you if you imagine this being read as one big story, I think you're going to pick up on those resonances. Yes. We're like three weeks apart, so it's so easy to forget. Yes. But interesting, look, Stephen was entered the scene, grace and power. This man, power called great. Yes. Like, I think Luke's going, hey, by the way, I'm giving you the clues here.
1: <laughs> yes, and that is and that is some of what we will pick up and, and unpack as we get into this because there's a lot for us to reflect on in the person of Simon. Amazing,
0: amazing. So what I hope then, Tyson, is we kind of round things out, I, I, what I hope we tried to do in the past sermon and just leave us with, it is the power of realizing that, that Luke is showing us through Stephen's sermon this sort of matrix for how I think we as Jesus followers should constantly be looking for you know, w- when I'm being taught, how is this teaching pushing me towards Jesus, right? Um, and 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 what way is it pushing me towards Jesus? And and I kind I know I'm just repeating myself, but I want to keep that in the forefront of our minds. I think we should assess our sermons at Westside on that basis. Yeah. I think we should assess. I think we should assess everything that we're doing on yeah. that basis. To be honest with you, I had a professor who used to always say, I try and I try and ask myself the question. In every conversation that I have, am I helping someone grow in their following of Jesus, or am I hindering someone in their following right. of Jesus? And, and I think it's a, I think it's a not bad goal to have throughout all of life, you know, is what I'm listening to, pointing me towards Jesus in the right way. Yes. Uh, and so I really hope people can capture that and, and wrestle with that, and then even actually test it. You know, Acts yeah. 17. The Bereans were like, we listened. And then we checked it out and saw, is this in line with Scripture? Yeah. But I'd say if you go through all of the sermons in Acts, you'll see exactly that thing happening, driving us towards, here is Jesus, not as you expected him.